Well, good morning. Glad that you're here today and excited to worship the Lord. We just sang that wonderful song, Praise Him, Praise Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray to Him this morning that He'd be with us. Father, we thank You that we can come together today to worship You. We thank You for the opportunity that we can meet in a place freely, openly. And Lord, we thank You for the freedoms that You've given us to do that. Lord, we don't take those for granted. There are people this morning around the world meeting in secret because they don't have the same kind of freedom by their government. Lord, we pray, Lord, though, that even in those places that your gospel would be preached, that you would work in hearts, that people would be encouraged and helped through the Word of God. I'm so thankful that the Word of God knows no borders, knows no boundaries. Lord, it is the power uh, of, has the power of you behind it and through it and in it. Pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it neat how God puts things together? Our scripture reading this morning goes right along with that last verse we just sang. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I will ever adore thee in heaven so bright. We're looking forward to heaven. If you're a believer, I'm looking forward to heaven. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 say, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Wonderful passage of Scripture. And looking forward to preaching in just a few minutes. And uh, make sure after church today, if you didn't get one already, get a camp form. If you've got a child or kids, make sure your parents get one. If you're going into third grade, up through the 12th grade. We're going to have a great time at summer camp. Looking forward to that. And then also, towards the end of the service today, we're going to pass out some little cards. This is more for the adults. We've been talking a, a little bit, but we're going to talk a little more about our family conference. This is coming up April 5th and 6th. And this is going to be a special time, a Friday evening and a Saturday morning. We're going to pass out some cards so you can let us know if you're going to be able to come. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us for that. There'll be, of course, food and games and good things involved. But wonderful Bible teaching on the home, on being the mom that you're supposed to be, the dad that you're supposed to be, the wife that you're supposed to be, the husband that you're supposed to be, and help us in our families. And so that's April 5th and 6th. I want you to make plans to come to that. Invite somebody else to come with you. It'll be a profitable time. If you can only join us for Friday night, come just for Friday night. If you can only join us on Saturday, come just for Saturday. If you can come for the whole thing, come for the whole thing. 
We want to have as many people a part of that as possible. And that is part of our anniversary Sunday weekend. So that same weekend, the very next day, April 7th, we're going to celebrate our second anniversary as a church, our birthday, if you will. And that's an exciting time. Many of you have come during this past year. Some of you are here in the first year. And uh, we're excited about celebrating all that God has done and looking forward to all that He will continue to do. And that'll be just a special, special time. So that'll be a full weekend, I know. But it'll be a wonderful time of fellowship together around the Word of God. It'll be a wonderful time of encouragement. It'll be a wonderful time of praising God for all that He's done. And then, of course, just a couple weeks after that, in April, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Easter Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior from the grave. There are lots of religions in the world. There are lots of religious holidays in the world. But there is no other religion that can celebrate the resurrection of their founder from the grave. And that's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion that's in the world, is that our founder was God and he proved it because he rose again from the dead. And that'll be a special Sunday. And as we look forward to that time, there will be opportunities. We're going to have uh, invitations to hand out. We're going to have special things going on as we really encourage folks to come that day. That's a day many people will attend a church that they won't attend any other time during the year. We want to encourage as many people to be here that day to hear the wonderful truth that Jesus saves and that Jesus is alive. And so let's be looking forward to those things together. You should have got a paper on your way in this morning with some of the things coming up. We also have a Sunday there in March, March 24th, as we'll be just, we're going to, we're calling it We Missed You Sunday. We're going to look out for some of those folks that we've had a lot of folks sick. We've had a lot of people out for various things, and we're just trying to have a special day, uh, some things to encourage you that way. But just invite folks who haven't been here or have missed for various reasons. We want to let them know we missed them and encourage them and invite them back for that Sunday. So a lot of things to make note of and to be planning, a lot of good stuff coming up. But right now, we're going to send our boys and girls out with Brother Josh and Sister Anna to their junior church time. I know they're excited to go. Adults, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, I got to admit something to you. The passage that I just read, we're not going to actually get to till next Sunday. Are you allowed to foreshadow a little bit and give a little taste of what's coming? That's what I did because I want us to have the focus of where it's going and realize that really the message this morning is kind of a two-part message. It's this Sunday and next Sunday because there's so much in this chapter, there's no way we could cover it all in one Sunday. And so I went back and forth. I had one message written up that included everything and then I cut, went back and back and forth. So I'm telling you, you're going to have to hang with me for two weeks on this one, okay? And it'll have a finish today, I promise. It'll have a finish and a good focus today. But this really, you got to hang on till heaven, okay? And next week is heaven. And this week isn't heaven, all right? Just warning you. You say, is it the other place? No, it's not going to be that bad. But next week is heaven, but this week is focused on what we're doing here in this life. The first two chapters first three chapters in Thessalonians are really dealing with some of the philosophy of, and focus of how we are to be living our life. 
it's kind of, it's, it's good to sit around and discuss, you know, kind of big ideas, right? And vision and focus and plans. We've done a lot of that over the last month and a half. But there's also a time to get down to just the nitty-gritty application. It's wonderful to dream, and we ought to. But then there's real life, right? Now, if we have good dreams, hopefully that affects real life. And hopefully if we have the right thinking and the right philosophy, the right foundation, we'll have the right actions. But there's a big transition that happens in 1 Thessalonians between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Because in the first three chapters, we were discussing how it ought to be, the way it should work. That relationship that happens as one person disciples another. We talked about the idea of winning one, that we have the right message, the foundation, the gospel that Jesus saves. We, we talked about the idea of leading somebody, being able to take somebody who's trusted Christ and leading them in that relationship with God so they can learn about who God is and how to walk with Him. We talked about some of the benefits of following somebody else in their spiritual walk. How there's encouragement. There's somebody that's praying for you. That's somebody that cares about you. And that's a wonderful benefit of being in a discipleship relationship that we're able to learn. We're able to grow. We have somebody else that we can call that we can ask for help from. But today we're going to get into, all right, so what, right? The, the real life. It's good to talk about it. It's good to dream about it. But then there's the day-to-day. How am I going to live today? And I think this is so helpful for us because it's kind of like what happens on a Sunday versus a Monday. Sunday, you can come to church. You can hear about God. You can sing His praises. You might even dress up in your nice clothes. And then there's Monday. Everybody looks forward to Monday, right? It's everybody's favorite day of the week. No, it's not. Why? Because it's when... Real life happens. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he's going to be dealing with some very specific things. And I'm trying to help you a little bit this morning as we get into this through this introduction to help you understand. When God's Word gets specific, sometimes we can get uncomfortable. Because when it's specific, it's like, It's good to paint with a broad brush and think about the big ideas, but when he gets in, it's kind of like surgery. He starts taking the scalpel and starts dealing with little things. It can be painful. Now, is pain always bad? No. In fact, we would say if you're going in for surgery, the pain is purposeful. It's necessary to get where you need to go. And by avoiding the pain of surgery, you might be opening yourself up to a much greater hurt, right? So as we look at this passage this morning, realize this is one of the, you can either look at it as a positive or negative. I look at it as a positive. But when you preach through books of the Bible, you come to passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8 or 9 that we're going to look at this morning. And there's some very specific things in here dealing with sin, dealing with things that God says are wrong. And as we look at God's Word, it really is a check on our spirit, a check on our attitude. How am I going to come to God today? Am I going to come to Him arrogant and proud 
and I get to make the rules, or am I going to come before God today and say, God, I'm humbling myself. You're God, I'm not. If your word says it, I want to obey it. I want to live it. Now, I realize the desire of wanting to do something and then actually doing it are sometimes two different things. So I'm not standing up here in front of you this morning as someone who has it all figured out, that's got it all perfect, but rather somebody who's trying to strive for this in my life, and I think you ought to strive for it in your life as well, because it's God's Word. And if it's God's Word, it's God's will. It's God's plan for your life. So let's look at this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Let's just read verses 1 and 2 as we get into our first point this morning. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave unto you. We gave you by the Lord Jesus. So let's just start right there in those first two verses. Notice he says in the middle of verse 2, As ye have received of us how ye ought to walk. I want us to start off this morning by thinking about this idea that the foundation of your holy walk, of your walk that God would have you to have, the foundation is obedience. Walking is the idea of taking action, doing something. The Bible speaks a lot about faith, okay, and we would say our foundation is faith. But the walk then is obedience. The walk is what am I doing now? What am I doing day by day? If my faith is real, it ought to motivate me to do something. Fake faith doesn't do anything. Real faith moves you to action. And he says here, I want you to abound more and more. To abound more and more means to do it and to continue doing it more and more. And he says again in verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Here, once again, in this first verse, we see this theme of discipleship taking place. If you go back in your mind, and maybe you can, maybe you can't, I'll go back for you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them, here it is, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Did you hear that? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Look at verse number one again. Ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and please God. So what Paul is doing, and Paul was the author of 1 Thessalonians. He's writing this letter to this church. He's saying... I'm passing on to you what God has taught me. You've received it from me. He's doing what Matthew 28, verse 20, commands him to do, to teach them to observe all things. 
And he continues that idea in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when he says, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Now, you might be thinking this morning, sounds like you're really focused on actions. But isn't our heart important? It is important. That's what the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians really were dealing with. Our heart, our attitude, how we're going to approach this. But our heart then ought to result in, if a right heart is right, in right actions. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, For without faith it is impossible to please God. So we know the heart is very important. You can't please God without the proper heart, without the proper faith in God. But then as you continue on in Hebrews chapter 11, you see over and over people that walked by faith. And what did they do? They did something, right? They stood even in the face of hard times. They obeyed even when it was difficult. One of the first ones in there, I, I love it, it talks about by faith, Noah. Say, what did Noah do by faith? He did something. He obeyed. He built an ark. Think about this. God comes to Noah, says, build an ark. There's going to be a worldwide flood. Did you know at that point in history, it had never even rained? That's faith, isn't it? But it's also obedience. Obedience. It caused him to do something. Noah trusted God so much that when God came to Noah and said, Noah, do this. Noah said, okay, and he started building the ark. You know that ark took him well over a hundred years to build? That's faith. That's a lot of work. I mean, none of us have spent a hundred years doing anything. And he spent a hundred years building a boat when there had never been rain. You say, you can have that kind of faith? Remember we talked about this last week? It's not about so much the size of faith that you have. It's who your faith is in. Noah believed God. And I would ask you this morning, do you really believe God? It's one thing to say it, but if you really believe God, you're going to do something about it. You're going to do what He says. He says here in verse 2, For ye know what commandments we gave you, by the Lord Jesus. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they had spent time in Thessalonica, in the city, teaching the people, preaching to the people, helping them know what was right. Paul's now left the city because of the persecution. He's gone on to preach elsewhere, and he's writing letters back saying, you know what we told you to do. Our problem a lot of times is not that we don't know, it's that we don't do. Right? <laughs> we, we know what's right at times. Now, sure, we got to learn. That's why he says, teach them to observe all things. Paul was teaching them, if you don't know, that's why we study God's Word, so you can know. But sometimes our problem is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of obedience. He says here that ye would abound more and more. So, first of all, in this idea of your foundation of your holy walk being obedience, there's the idea of learning the truth. I've got to learn it. And then faithfully obeying the truth. Faithfully obeying the truth. Now, I, I asked Billy to bring something this morning to help me illustrate this. Billy, can you come up and help me do this? Billy brought his resistance band. 
Some of you don't even know what this is. Well, we're going to help you out this morning. Billy's going to help you out. So, Billy, what do you use this for? Exercise. Yeah, for exercising. Show, show us how you work out. You didn't know you were coming to a gun show today. There's Billy. This is his exercise. This is why Lisa loves those arms. And, you know, she's excited. And uh, he, he does that. Now, let me just ask you a question. You don't know because he's wearing a suit coat today. Let's just imagine what it might look like under that suit coat this morning and realize that he's probably done this more than once, right? He's probably done it more than once. And how, what is he going to have to do if he wants to keep growing his biceps? He has to keep doing it. He has to keep doing it. Some of these boys are going to come up after church and check Brother Billy's arm and see... If he's been doing it or not, we're putting him to the test this morning. That's why I had him do it, not me. (laughs) But he has to keep doing it. Just knowing how to use that tool doesn't make him any stronger, does it? Just owning that tool doesn't make him any stronger. He's got to get it out and use it. And the more he uses it, the stronger he gets. If he goes a year and doesn't use it, do you think there's going to be much difference? No. If he picks it up after not using it for a long time and he uses it a bunch one day, what's going to happen? Is he going to get big and strong? No, he's just going to be sore. And it's going to hurt. And that's how obedience is too, isn't it? You haven't obeyed for a long time and all of a sudden, all right, I'm going to try to do right. It almost hurts to do right, doesn't it? See, there's this idea here in verse 1. He says that you would abound more and more. Billy wants to get stronger. He's going to do it more and more and more. And in fact, over time, he might even get a thicker band and increase the weight, increase the resistance to make him stronger and stronger and stronger. So much so that at some point, he might get to the place in his strength because he's done it and done it and done it, that he might bring in a weight at some point. And we go, how do you even pick that up? And you or I might go over there and say, I can't even pick this up. And Billy picks it up. How can he do it? Because he's done it over and over and over and over, and he's built up his strength. Obedience is like that too. Obeying God is not as easy as some people make it look. You know why some people make it look easy? It's because they've been doing it a long time. They've had practice. They're building up their strength. You try to do it one time, you say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can do that again. Here's how... We learn. That's why we have those relationships, right? Because you and I both are going to have times of weakness, and we need somebody to come alongside of us. That's why a lot of times if you work out a lot, you have what? A workout partner. You have somebody to go to the gym with, somebody who's calling and say, hey, get up this morning. I know you were up late last night. We're going to be at the gym together this morning. We've got to exercise. Why? Not many people do great exercising by themselves, do they? Not for a long time. You've got to have a partner. You've got to have somebody to help you, somebody to meet you, somebody to lift you up when you're down, somebody to spot you when you lift a weight that's a little bit too big for you to lift so that you can continue to grow, so that you continue to do what you're supposed to do. We can all know, hey, that's a resistance band. Hey, if I put it under my foot and lift, it will help my muscles. But knowing it and doing it are two different things. Thank you, Billy. Does that help you understand what he's talking about here? I want you to think about this in real life terms. Not just, well, that was church on Sunday. I want you to think about what this looks like on Monday. 
What has God told me to do? He says that in verse 2, that he'd already given them the commands. They already knew what they were supposed to do. The Bible says this, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You say, well, I don't know everything. Neither do I. But if we're not obedient to what we do know, we're not living as God would have us to live. Does your life on Monday look like how you represent it to be on Sunday? Does your life in real life look like how you represent it to look on your social media account? Now, I realize if you look at mine, we posted some pictures of our kids last night. They're all smiling, have clean shirts and look good. You know as well as I do, our kids don't always look that good. And so, yes, we have a tendency, just like at church on Sunday, we kind of put our best foot forward, our biggest smile on. I understand there's pressures and there's realities, but there's also the question of whether I'm still doing right even when life is reality, right? Even when the laundry's piled up on the floor, even when, there's some, when I'm tired and frustrated, I can still choose to respond properly. I can still choose to be kind. I can still choose to love somebody else. I can still choose to get up and read God's Word even when I kind of feel off. I understand there is a difference with how we come to church and we smile and we try to, because we want to encourage somebody else and we don't want to share all of our problems and I understand all of that. There's also the reality that many times we put on a false front and we're not doing what we know to do. He says that you would abound more and more. In other words, that tells me there's never a place where I can get to in my life and I say, well, I've arrived. I've now made it to the pinnacle of spiritual living. And if you'd all just be just like me, everything would be great. No, that'd be wrong. I'd be proud. It'd be fake news. So the question is, how are you doing in your obedience? I know that's not deep. I know that's not complicated. And for me to even say it is a little bit painful. Because i got to think through my own life and go, I don't know if I'm as obedient in every area as I need to be. Let me see what God wants me to do and let me do it. It's not that I don't know. It may be that I'm just not doing what I know to be true. And as we think about that idea of lifting weights, let's continue in it. Realize, yes, you may have messed up. Yes, you may be struggling to find consistency in these things. Find somebody else to come alongside you so that you can follow somebody else. Find somebody else that can come and help you. Come talk to me. I'll find somebody for you. I'll help you. I want to do that. If you're not comfortable talking to me for some reason, talk to somebody in our church. They'll help you do it. It's so important. So important. Because the foundation of our holy walk is obedience. All right? 
Since there's so much to cover, I made it easy for you today. There's only two points, and that was the first one. Look at that. It's 1042, and we're halfway home. I have to warn you, though, this one's a little bit tougher than the first one. I want you to read with me verses 3 through 8. I want you to really pay attention. This is God's Word. And in verse 3, he begins very simply, for this is the will of God. There are many people struggling with, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? Here you go, remember? Sometimes we know it, it's just not doing it. For this is the will of God. What is it? Even your sanctification. Let me pause there a moment and define that word for you. Sanctification, there's a noun form and a verb form. This is the noun. Sanctification is holiness. Holiness. The verb to sanctify, to become holy, this is a process that happens in our life. So God has called us to holiness. Peter tells us that God, as God's speaking, he says, Be ye holy, as I am holy. Okay, you say, how can I be holy? Holy means like completely set apart, no sin, all that stuff. It's a process. And I believe that process won't be complete till we get to heaven someday. But it doesn't mean that we wait till heaven to start the process. Okay, so he says, God's will is your sanctification. The will of God is that you become holy. Holy is the idea of something that has a special purpose. It's set apart. It is used for a specific reason. In my house growing up, there were some special items, dishes, things that only came out on special occasions. They were set apart. They were reserved for a specific use. Listen, folks, when we get to talking about holiness, that's often a difficult thing for a lot of people because we live in a society that's very relativistic. You, you make a decision how you want to. What's right for you may not be right for me. There's this back and forth, and we just kind of make it up as we go. And this idea of holiness, a standard set apart, different, on purpose, is very difficult for us because most of us live lives that aren't very holy. But I want to encourage you here as, you, as we discuss this idea of holiness that there actually is a wonderful purpose in becoming holy. See, lots of times in a religious setting, in a church setting, this idea of holiness is used as some sort of stick that people beat other people over the head with and say, you need to be holy. And they look at outward appearance, they look at all these things about them, and they try to make them measure up to a perfect standard. And they hold somebody up, maybe it's the pastor, maybe it's somebody else in the church, and they say, that's holy, you all need to be like that. That's the wrong standard. Your standard for holiness is not me. Your standard for holiness is God. My standard for holiness is God. That's the goal. That's what we're to be measured up to be like. So, if God has a specific purpose for my life and it requires that I be holy, 
What does that look like? Again, not just on Sunday, on Monday. Here it is, that she abstain from fornication. Did the Bible just say that? Yes, it did. Abstain, that means none. Stay away, zero, nothing, no fornication. Notice he continues on in verse 4 that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. I love this verse. This verse really jumped out at me as I was studying this passage. Because often we think of abstaining from fornication, staying away from those kinds of sins of the flesh. Like, well, I just got to stay away from that. You know, I just can't do that. Can't look at that. Can't go there. Can't do those things. You know, those Christians, they just are, you know, really tight. They just loosen up. They'd have a lot more fun, be happier people. But verse 4 helps us to understand verse 3. Why do I abstain from fornication as a believer? Why should I? Verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Your vessel is your body. Your vessel is your body. And he says to possess it. Okay, that's, that's how you hold on to it. That's how you treat it. And he says you're to treat it, you're to hold on to it with your body with sanctification and honor. In other words, you need to understand your purpose and your value. Your sanctification is your purpose, right? That's the will of God, that you be sanctified. That's the purpose of God in your life to do that process of cleaning you up and setting you apart. He has a special plan for your life. And when we live in sin... When you go into fornication, when you go away from God, you are not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And even worse than that, you don't understand your value. That's what he means by honor. See, God has a plan for your life, and God values you. You are so precious to Him. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You've been bought with a price. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He cares for you. He gave everything so that He could have a relationship with you. And to go and live in the lust of your flesh is misunderstanding and cheapening your value. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than just giving yourself away to fulfill some fleshly desire. You're worth more than that. You're more valuable than that. You are so valuable to God that He did whatever He had to do and He had to send Jesus so that you could be saved. Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. See, when we disobey God, when you live in sin, when you go and do things contrary to what God says, you don't understand your purpose and your value. It'd be like if you came over to my house and it was time to, and we were going to go work in the yard. We're going to cut the grass. We're going to pull weeds. 
I say, hang on, let me go change real quick. And I run in and I put on my suit, my tie, my expensive clothes, my nice shoes, and I go running out in the yard and say, all right, I'm ready. Let's pull weeds. You'd look at me and say, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Do you not understand the purpose and value of the clothing that you're wearing? Do you not understand that you ought to wear some old clothes, some things that you don't mind getting messed up to do that kind of work? Because what you're wearing has a different purpose, has a different kind of value. Folks, when we run into sin, when you run into doing wrong, when you're going your own way, you're really missing out on God's purpose for your life. And you're cheapening your value. You're worth so much more than that. To me, I was really encouraged by verse 4. Because verse 3 is very direct. Abstain from fornication. Number 4 helps us to understand why. The why helps, doesn't it? Because sometimes we hear truth and we say, well, this is the way it has to be. Oh, I don't know if I like that. That... We often look, many people look at God's Word and they say, well, if I, if I have to do it this way, then that just means that's what i got to do. Christianity is all about don't do this and do this and, you know, do's and don'ts. And No, He gives us the why. Because you're worth more than that. Because you have a better purpose than just to use up your life fulfilling your own fleshly desires. Your body's worth more than that. Your purpose is greater than that. Your purpose is greater than just fulfilling your own fleshly desires. And that's what he continues on to say in verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence. That's just living according to the lust of my flesh. Even as the Gentiles which know not God. He's not trying to pick on Gentiles here. The reality was in the pagan temples of that day, there was all kinds of immorality going on. And they called that worship. It was awful. Sickening. See, don't those people understand they're worth more than that? That's what the gospel teaches us. Because left to ourselves, we just go our own way and try to satisfy and fulfill ourselves. God says, I have a bigger purpose for you for your life. It's about more than just satisfying your own fleshly desires. You can actually matter to yourself and beyond to others as well. He says then in verse 6 that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. I wrote it this way. Don't hurt another person because God will judge. When you live in immorality, when you make choices that are immoral things, and you're doing things that are not right in that area of your flesh, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting somebody else. Some of you know that firsthand. Whether because you've been the one doing the hurting or you've the one that's been hurt. There's no, there's no sin that happens in a vacuum. It always has an effect on somebody else. Oh, we live in a society today, folks. Well, as long as it's two consenting adults, they can do whatever they want. Folks, that's really sad. That's a cheap way to live. That doesn't show your value. That's a misunderstanding 
or just a complete disregard for your purpose in life. You have a greater purpose than that. God's made you better than an animal. It's not just about getting whatever I need to satisfy whatever I desire. It's about bringing glory to God. And that actually benefits us in the long run. God's not selfish to tell us these things. God's not mean. He's not trying to keep us from good things. He's trying to help us understand there's something better. There's something better. Living a holy life is really the better way. I'm going to help us understand that hopefully a little bit better before we finish. He says in verse 7, For God has not called us unto uncleanness. Again, the purpose. He's called us unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given us His holy spirit. Don't indulge in sin, do right. Don't hurt another person because God will judge. God's purpose for your life requires holiness. Don't despise God. I'm thankful for my family, thankful for my children. But if I were to go and to live selfishly, right, to fulfill my own lust, do you think that hurt my children? Do you think living to see my children go on and do wonderful things is far more important than me just satisfying some desire for a moment? Oh, it's absolutely far more important. Do you think that you say, well, you just don't understand. Flesh is flesh. We all have it. We all deal with it. No one here is exempt from the struggles of the flesh. But he finishes in that last verse I just read. He says that God's given us His Holy Spirit. See, he's speaking here to believers. This is not a standard that an unbeliever can hold themselves to because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have God's power working in them. This is the kind of thing to overcome the sins of the flesh. You really need the power of God, don't you? You need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, first, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, when I accept Christ as my Savior, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of me. But it's one thing to have received the Holy Spirit. It's also another thing to walk in the Holy Spirit. Just like it's one thing to know the truth, it's another thing to walk in obedience to the truth. So how do I walk in the Spirit? Well, it's similar to this idea of exercise again. It's something that requires a regular, daily, personal relationship with God. I'm not just talking about having your sins forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. It's also about just daily spending time in God's Word, being reminded of the truth over and over, thinking about it, having it fresh on your mind. I love what Psalm 119 says, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal, or how can a young man cleanse his way? There's the idea of being sanctified. How can he get cleaned up? Maybe this is you this morning. You say, well, I, I hear what you're saying. I know it's the Bible, but I'm far from that. So how are you going to cleanse your way? He said you can do it by taking heed, paying attention to the Word of God. He says, with my whole heart, 
have I sought thee? In other words, I'm getting everything out of my life that doesn't help me follow God, and I'm seeking Him with everything I have. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. And we talked about this with the boys and girls for camp, and we should be doing it as adults too. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How are you doing in your scripture memory? in your reading of God's Word and learning it for yourself. You want to stay from sin? You want to live a holy life? You want to have God clean you up and understand your purpose and your value? Fill your mind with the Word of God. Fill your mind with its truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit uses God's Word to speak to our hearts. But if you haven't put God's Word in your heart, the Holy Spirit's convicting He's doing His work, but you're not hearing it because you haven't taken time to put God's Word into your heart and mind. I, I talked with somebody this week. I'm talking about faith. This person said, I, I have a lot of faith. I've always had a lot of faith. I said, but boy, I've ended up in a lot of difficult situations in my life. Now, I realize sometimes hard things come out of no fault of our own. Somebody else does something to us. But sometimes we put ourselves in the bad situation. So we begin to look at God's Word together and show the truth. This individual said, wow, I, I never knew that. So it's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to have obedience. And obedience comes through knowing what God's Word says. But once you know it, listen, it's your responsibility now. It's your responsibility to obey when you know the truth. Holiness, this is not an easy topic because it's something that hits all of us. I would ask you this morning, how are you doing in your obedience? What is it you know that's right and you're not doing it? See, Paul's not writing to this church to be mean. He's not writing to this church to beat them over the head. He loves them. He wants to help them. If you go back and read back in chapter 2, you'll read about how he said, we came to you like a mother who is nursing her child. This is not a man who's angry and out to get them. This is a guy who loves them and wants to help them. Do you ever tell your children something to do and they don't like it? Sure. Is God allowed to tell us to do things that maybe we don't like sometimes? Is it because He doesn't like us? When you tell your children to do something, is it because you don't like them? Or is it because you really love them and you want to help them be where they ought to be? See, God may be protecting you from something that you have no idea about. He may be keeping you away from something because He's reminding you, you're to be holy. You have a special purpose. Your value, you're so valuable that Jesus came and died in your place. Live a holy life. Live a life of obedience. Live a life 
of purity before God because it's part of His purpose for your life. Because you're worth so much to Him. He's given you the tools that you need. He's given you the Word of God. As a believer, He's given us the Holy Spirit. Are you going to use the tools at your disposal? You could come to me this morning and say, Pastor Will, I I want to get healthy. I could say, all right, here's a diet plan. Here's a gym membership. But those won't do you any good unless you follow them. Unless you go to the gym, unless you show up. And you might say, Pastor, I need you to go with me to the gym. Or I might say to you, I need you to go with me to the gym. (laughs) And we'll get healthy together. Spiritually speaking, it's no different. It's one thing to know it. We often know it on Sunday. We hear it at church. It's another thing to do it. Folks, I'm not telling you this because I think it's easy. I think it's hard. But it's a good kind of hard. Because it has a good result. And that's why we exist as a church, to help each other in this spiritual growth process. And so I would ask you as we finish up the service this morning to examine your own heart. You know your life far better than I do. And ask God. There's a wonderful passage in the scripture in Psalm 139 where King David did this before God. He says at the end of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. I would ask you this morning, would you have that heart? Would you say to God, God, search me, know me, try me, look at me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Convict me of that sin. But folks, don't ignore God's conviction on your heart. If God speaks to you about something, get it right. Because you know as well as I do. Again, we'll go back to the workout because we've all been there. You have the greatest plans to work out and get in shape and get strong. And then on, on Monday, it's raining and it's cold and you're tired. You say, I'll wait till Tuesday. Do you think it's going to be easier on Tuesday or harder on Tuesday? Harder. You all know it. It's no different in the spiritual walk. You ignore it and say, well, I'll start that tomorrow. I'll start that later. I'll deal with that sin another time. Doesn't he know that's going to be really hard for me? This is something I really like. Folks, it doesn't get easier. It just gets harder. But we all, I think, can appreciate when someone walks by and we go, wow, that person must be disciplined. They eat right. They work out. They're in great shape. Wish I looked like that. You can wish all you want. But until you get out and start doing something about it, nothing's going to change. And you can look at where other people are at spiritually and say, I wish my kids were like that. I wish my marriage was like theirs. I wish I could live 
a holy life like they do because, boy, they just seem to avoid a lot of the problems, a lot of the pits that I find myself in. Folks, get with them. Figure out what they're doing and then start walking with God in faithfulness. I'm not going to promise you an overnight fix. There's no shortcuts to holiness. It's like there's no real shortcuts to getting in shape. You've got to go out and do it. There's more efficient ways to do it. The efficient way is be regular, be faithful, do it consistently, find a mentor, find somebody else who's already doing it, and walk along with them. That's the most efficient way. Sometimes people say, well, I've decided to do right, and then they just kind of set out on their own without any help. You're gonna, it's going to take you a long time. It's like you say, well, I'm going to get in shape, and, but, but I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Get some help. Lead one, follow one, so that we can then take those next spiritual steps together. I hope you understand, this is one of those messages that's hard to preach a little bit. Because it's easy, on one hand, to sound condescending, and I don't mean to sound that way at all. Because none of us is perfect. We all have areas of growth that are required. It's also difficult because this standard is really high. It's God's standard. And it's easy for us to get discouraged when we look at the standard. It'd be like if I brought in an Olympian here this morning and said, all right, be like that guy. And you're like, I don't even want to try. Folks, I want you to understand it's worth it to become holy, to allow God to work in your life and change you. It's worth it because God has such a special plan for your life. And the more you walk in obedience with him, the more you'll get to experience and discover God's plan for your life. And the more fulfillment you'll feel because you're actually doing what you were intended to do. And it's worth it because you are so valuable to God. Your vessel, your body should be possessed in honor. Because the Bible tells us you were created in God's image. That's so special. And if you're here this morning and you've well, I've really gone off the wrong way on some of these things. God is a God of love and a God of forgiveness. And He'll love you and bring you back to Himself. I believe that as long as you're living, there's no place that you can go that's too far away from God. You can always turn to Him. But the Bible's very clear. This life is short. And at some point, it will end. So give it to God now because you don't know when it's going to be over. Let's bow for prayer. Father, help us in this pursuit of holy living. This is not easy stuff. But Lord, we know it's right because it's in your word. Well, we could try to explain it away jump over it, ignore it, skirt around the truth, but it's right here, plain as day for us. Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us, help us. We thank you that you've promised to give us the strength. You've already given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. Lord, you're giving us tools. You've put us in a church where other people are striving for the same thing. 
Lord, there's no better place, no better time to be able to allow your work of sanctification to begin and to work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would keep Satan far away this morning. That your word would work in hearts and that people, instead of running away from the truth, would be drawn to you. Lord, I know. I've seen it happen before. I know this can happen. The reality is that truth cuts. Your word tells us that it's like it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it pierces into our heart and it shows us our thoughts and our intents. And Lord, sometimes people run away from that because they'd rather hold on to their own selfish things. Lord, I pray that we would understand there's a better way that you died for us, that we're so valuable in your sight, that we have such a greater purpose, I believe, that's even beyond what we can understand, that if we'll live holy lives, we can fulfill that purpose for you as we ought. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would come together and love one another and help one another and encourage one another in this spiritual walk, that we wouldn't hurt somebody else through our selfish choices, but rather we'd put you first and put others ahead of ourselves. We'd walk in obedience and truth. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.